Sometimes, my mother went on, I think of white dresses as a way of starting over. There's sort of a way of wiping the whole slate clean, just like what happens in the wintertime when the snow comes. It wipes away everything in preparation for a new year, a new spring. That's a quote by Mary Flum Peterson, Beaver Dam, Wisconsin native and author of White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. Welcome to Sidetrack Legacies, episode number 77. Today, I'm talking with Mary Flum Peterson. She began her journalism career in New York at CNN, where she had the opportunity to report from Istanbul, Berlin, and Atlanta. She was the CNN bureau chief in Turkey and then moved on to ABC News' Good Morning America. She's currently a reporter and producer for NBC News. During her varied and exciting career, she's won five Emmys, two Edward R. Murrows, a Peabody, a DuPont, and a WGA Award. She's covered presidential elections, the Oscars, Hurricane Katrina, the London bombings, royal weddings, the death of Pope John Paul II, and the political rise of Barack Obama. Today, we get together and talk about her amazing memoir, White Dresses, a memoir of love and secrets, mothers and daughters. It's a look into Mary's complicated and loving family through the lens of the white dresses that the women in her family have worn on special occasions. Welcome. This is the Sidetracked Legacies podcast, and I'm your host, Lisa Hoffman. Do you have ideas and thoughts that you'd like to share with your children or grandchildren? Have you learned some life lessons that might help others? If you answered yes to either of these questions, you need to get it down on paper. The world needs your stories, values, wisdom. We call this legacy work. The Sidetrack sisters have been getting together to write for years, and the topic that we most enjoy writing about is ourselves, who we are, what we've done, and what we believe. Now, we want to extend the invitation for others to join us. So, grab a notebook, journal, or laptop, and listen in while the Sidetrack sisters share thoughts and tips on how to uncover, communicate, and preserve your stories. So one more quick thing before we dive into today's episode. Please rate and review the Sidetrack Legacies podcast because it will help others find us. And also, be sure to subscribe or follow us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to be notified whenever we have a new episode. And now, here we go. Great. Okay. So, got it. Okay. Beautiful. So Mary, it's so nice to see you in person. We've communicated a little bit online, but, um, you know, I, as I mentioned a few moments ago, I read your book. Um, it was, I think it was published in 2015, maybe. Yeah. The end of the, yeah, right. Late 2015. Okay. Yes. And, uh, since then, and just preparing for this interview, I've listened to a few of your interviews that you've given in the past. Oh, great. So I listened to one about, it was really about honoring different religious traditions. And so you talked a lot about Catholicism and how that impacted your, you, your mom and your family. And then I also listened to one about mental health. Oh, and, great. Um, those were wonderful interviews. So hopefully oh, I, the bar is way up here. So hopefully this <laughs> one will, will be up there also. But why don't you just tell us a little bit about who you are and why in the world I want you on my podcast about legacy writing and all things about memoirs and storytelling. 
Well, thank you, first of all, for having me. I, I really enjoy connecting with people, um, which this book has enabled me to do. The, the book that I wrote, White Dresses, which is a memoir that I wrote, never intending to write this book. I, I had taken a writing class um, after my fourth child was born. I have four children. And after the, the little girl was born, she was born soon after my mother had died. And I was taking a writing class to finish off uh, a novel that I had written. And I thought this would just be a great time. Anybody who's a parent knows there it's the kids are in preschool for just a couple of hours. And, and my, my, uh, I had two sons going to preschool. And by the time you drop them off, it's time to pick them up. And I had just yep. had the baby and I, you know, I, my husband thought it would be nice if I had just a tiny bit of, of me time. So I took this writing class at the same preschool or the, the West side YMC is where the boys were in school. And I was also thought I would take this writing class. I had a wonderful writing instructor, Patty Dan. She wrote the book mermaids, which the movie with Winona Ryder and Cher is based on. She's written a lot of wonderful things. She was my instructor and uh, she, she was looking at passages of my novel, but she was more intrigued. I, she had a writing exercise at the beginning of every class, which was to write, she would give you a writing prompt. It could be anything. She had a prompt and she gives you like 10 minutes to write and you share it with the class. And she wrote a prompt about where you got your name and why you were named, what you were named. And I wrote this little prompt uh, about my name being Mary and how my mother had given me the name and I had never known why she gave me the name. And I distinctly remember as a child thinking the name was very old fashioned. I grew up in Beaver Dam and there were so many in my generation, Heathers and Jennies, lots of Jennifers and uh, Michelle's and, you know, all kinds of names. I personally wanted to be named Linda. I couldn't stand the name Mary for the longest time. And my mother finally told me when I was a teenager that I was named what I was named because when she was in the convent, um, she'd actually had this vision and it sounded and she was trying to share with me. And it just sounded so out of this world. You know, I kind of rolled my eyes, teenager style. I shared this story with the class about the story of my, my mother's legacy. And then since she had recently passed now really loving my name because of what I've grown to understand what she'd given up all those years in the convent. And then the years that followed and the class was completely riveted. And so many members of the class, including some very honest New Yorkers said, stop that novel. You know, your novel's fine. We want, we want more. So each week I came to class with a little bit more about my story and about my mother. And uh, I wrote pretty quickly um, the book, White Dresses. So you asked me a little bit about myself, but that's kind of um, uh, a, 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 a segue that I, I took, took liberty to just let a, a little more no, known about um, the backstory of how I came to write a book that took me from being what I already was very proud to be a mother of four and um, uh, a journalist who lived around the world. I started my career at CNN and uh, absolutely loved my time working first in the New York Bureau and then at CNN headquarters in Atlanta, where I started reporting and doing um, actually some anchoring and then overseas where I was an international correspondent and bureau chief based in Istanbul, Turkey, and also spent time in Berlin. Loved that time, loved my years at Good Morning America. I was at Good Morning America for over a decade and was so fortunate to take the team to number one, uh, do so many broadcasts from around the world, um, win a number of, of awards, including um, several Emmy Awards and a Peabody and a DuPont. Wonderful times, but, but that led to this wonderful moment mm -hmm. in a writing class where I was able to start putting pen to paper and talk about 
a really, I call it a very complicated, but loving family that made me who I am today. Yeah, it was a really, I mean, we look at those experiences in our lives and my belief is until you actually sit and maybe put pen to paper, you don't understand how they have formed the background, the bedrock of who you are and what makes you who you are, the complex, wonderful person that has all of these idiosyncrasies and um, nuances that that we are as people. Absolutely. No, I think it's it's important for, I, I, I've gotten to know so many people uh, since writing the book. They've read the book and related to different aspects of the book. But I think that um, putting pen to paper or just putting those thoughts together um, and just reflecting on blemishes and all that, that's what I'm also just such a big believer in. And I think there's a tendency sometimes in society, especially in the age of social media, there's always been a, a tendency to want to keep up with the Joneses. But I feel like now more than ever, sometimes people want to literally, I mean, you know, all those filters on social media that are available. I think sometimes people want to do that about their own lives. And, and that's an understandable temptation. But as you noted, it's the idiosyncrasies, not only in our own lives, but also our, our sometimes complicated families that do make us who we are. And I think it's really important to, uh, even if you're not sharing it for total public consumption, to take a look at that for your own yeah, reflection. And sometimes I think that within the flaws and the idiosyncrasies are also great sources of strength. You know, when exactly. you realize what, exactly. what previous generations have worked to overcome. Do you, do you have a writing practice? Do you have, are you a diary writer? Are you a journalist? Are you a journalist? Well, I am a journalist, a, a literal sense? journalist yeah. in terms of, um, I, you know, I, I, people, I, when, when they ask me this, no, I've always loved to write. I mm-hmm. sure as a teenager, I, I kept a journal religiously and that yeah. helped me get through a lot. Matter of fact, I just pulled up my journal from 1979. Oh, great. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's no, but it's great. Um, but no, I mean, in more recent years, I mean, no, I mean, not since I became a journalist. I mean, I'm doing so much. I mean, anyone who knows a journalist, I mean, the hours are incredibly long and you're doing so much writing and running around. I wrote a good chunk of white dresses actually on, on my phone and my Blackberry really? um, in the back of cabs, um, uh, waiting for the doors to open for preschool pickup, um, <laughs> watching kids play, you know, little at basketball classes. I... I'm a big believer in just writing when it strikes me. Um, I was also, when I wrote white dresses, for example, I mean, I had four children, um, five and under, I was breastfeeding full-time, you know, like I feel like literally full-time. I mean, part of the book was written with a, a baby on me and I was like pecking. I had one arm on, on the baby while I fed her and one, one finger um, hitting, hitting things. So I didn't have That's a visual. Yes. I think if I got caught up in, I am so in awe of writers that say I write at this time every day. And I have, you know, I silence my phone and I, I'm away from social media and I, I bow down. I, I know several of them and I'm like, you're amazing. My agent told me that I am the only writer in her stable of writers that has a full-time job and, and, uh, and, and young children. she said, either, <laughs> she, right. said, she said, she's got, uh, um, doing it all. No, all I'm saying is this is not saying yay me. This is saying, I, I, I don't, I can't say I'm going to do one specific way of writing. I love to write. Um, sometimes I, what I will say is I'm a big believer in writing what 
feels most comfortable. I wrote white dresses, for example, out of order. I wrote the back Ooh. half first, and Ooh. then I went and wrote the first chapters, and then I finished in the middle. Okay. Ooh. I'm a big believer in whatever is feeling least forced go with that and I'm also a big believer in in setting a limit I mean sometimes I think people write much better when you know I only have a half an hour or an Mm -hmm. hour I think some of the 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 most productive writing sessions I've ever had are maybe because it's the journalist in me with deadline pressure you just you write with the time that you have I think when you have that big expanse of time um, some people do well with that but I think otherwise you can just sit and obsess over a single sentence or a single paragraph or a single, uh, you know, section of a chapter for an entire day that you might've just as effectively focused upon for 45 minutes and then gone for a run or, you know, help kids with homework. Exactly. Oh, that's so real. I mean, you're right. So many people we hear have this, you know, this religious writing practice and if you fall out of it, then you feel like, oh, well, you know, I'm just not a writer. And I think that's so freeing to hear somebody like you say, hey, no, you got to pick it up in those little bits and pieces. When you said you're, you know, waiting in the pickup line to, ki- to pick up your kids. Absolutely. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as if you have an idea, right, for, hey, and, and sometimes you just need that moment. And, and researchers have done those studies that sometimes the most effective work or productive work is done when you, you take a step back from something mm-hmm. and uh, it helps your, your, your brain kind of unknot, you know, what's been knotted. And I, and I find that so often that I will, even if I just pick up, you know, on my phone in the notes function, or I, I white dresses. I also just just emailing myself. I'm so sorry. You're in New York city. Exactly. <laughs> all glory. Um, but even if in an email to yourself and I would just hit reply all, and sometimes it would just be dash marks and little sections of like, Oh, I want to include this. Remember or, oh, this part. Remember that experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, um, I also write a lot of personal essays. Some of my work's been in the Washington post and Boston, Huffington, Huffington, yeah. Washington post. Washington. I, I've written, yeah, I, I written a number of essays uh, for the Washington post. And okay. a lot of those came, you know, I just wrote on blackberries and, phones and emails to myself with just little ideas that come to you. And then, and if you do that throughout the day, suddenly you've got a whole body of work. Yeah. Yeah. When you were talking about um, another thing is when you're writing, it's so personal and so raw. And the thing that, that you've written about that your, your classmates found so intriguing were moments that, as you said, on social media, we don't, we want to present this, you know, happy, happy view. But really, I think readers are, are drawn to our writing and our experiences when we're real with them. Well, I think people are much, are very perceptive. I think people don't always know what's off, but I think people are very good even on social media, even I find um, as a television producer, uh, they can smell inauthenticity. Exactly. Uh, I see it in my children. I'm sure you've seen it in your kids. Yep. But when you're authentic, it's okay if you have totally different experiences. I think the the universal themes shine through in the authenticity. I guess what I'm saying is certainly the last couple of years of pandemic are great examples of that. Yeah. There were so many different examples of loss Uh, no, there's nobody that didn't experience some level of loss, but I think the more real that people are about what those experiences are and how it made them feel certainly any vulnerabilities. I think then all of a sudden I have a writer friend, uh, he's a wonder, was a wonderful master writer for years at good morning America. And he's, um, 
uh, since stepped away from our crazy business. But that was one thing he told me when he read the book. Mm. He said, the more, he said he loved the book because the more personal you become, the more universal you become. And I thought it was such a great line because uh, mm-hmm. I think sometimes people work so hard to be pleasing to so many people. And then that, that doesn't ring true. Exactly. But if you write about your own personal experience, they may not know what it was to have you know, as I talked about my experience having, you know, you know, a father that came out mm-hmm. as being gay at a time when, you know, society behaved in certain circles as if nobody's father was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but writing about that personal feeling, um, you may not have had that same experience, but you can relate to other aspects of the story in terms of what it is to come from a complicated family, because as we know, everybody's got something, even exactly. if they're not sharing it. So, and that's really the, what we, as with this podcast, Sidetrack Legacies are talking about are coming up and preserving our family history, our family stories. You know, as you mentioned in one of um, your interviews, you didn't know that your mother was even a, a nun until you were in middle school. You were a teenager. I was a little bit younger. I think it was in elementary school. Okay. Yeah. You were, yeah. you were looking in a, in a spare bedroom closet and you discovered some right. pictures. With right. A it was with my, my dear, dear friend and next door neighbor was over for a, a play date. As you know, in Wisconsin, there's like nine months of cold, right? So it was <laughs> exactly. a cold day and we were trying to find something to do. I'm sure mm-hmm. you can, you remember those days from your oh, own yeah. childhood or watching your children. And right. We found a, a bag uh, of old photos. And we started going through them. And, uh, my friend was the one who saw the photos of my mother and said, who's that? And I wasn't sure. I, 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 don't, I, I, she put it together before I did, because it was an old black and white photo. And at that time, as you know, the, the, the sisters wore, I mean, they really wore, it was like in, in sound of music, the movie, right. The, the way mother superior and the, the nuns, you know, around Maria, uh, wore those huge, uh, habits. And it really, my mother was quite thin at the time, really engulfed her. And that's how I found out. I took the photo down to the kitchen and I showed my mother and I still remember she was making macaroni and cheese at, for <laughs> dinner. It was a Sunday evening and she was stunned and you know, she looked like she'd seen a ghost and because she knew my friend was waiting upstairs, you know, and it was kind of that awkward moment, but she, to her credit, she was honest with me. And then we yeah. didn't really talk about it was the funny thing. I went back to my play date and then we kind of put that on a back burner for a while. It was something I think because there was so much going on in her life, you know, we really had no money and she was struggling on so many ends and she was struggling with her own mental health because of depression and whatnot, I think the last thing she needed was to sit down and talk to a daughter, not yet ready to understand and already trying to deal with the fact my parents were not deceitful to me about my father being gay. But at the same time, I think they didn't want to like overwhelm us with everything else going on. And so that was something else they kind of kept on the back burner that I didn't find out about until I was a teenager. That's maybe Uh, I just got those two switched around. No, it's okay. It's okay. I mean, they were both kind of you know, yes, but it was obviously made for interesting kind of packaging in your head, the way all of us do You're compartmentalizing in your head of like, all right, that's, that's one more issue. We'll have to figure out another day. Uh, because, you know, it was a, it was, it was a, it was a yeah tough time. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I just really appreciate so much your honesty and the, and the way that you share in such a real and, and generous way. It's, it's so you. helpful to people who have gone through difficult times and wonder if they should be sharing those things. Another thing that, that I want to ask you about are your kids. So how do your kids deal with that? Do, do they have any, and you've got some older sons, how are you dealing with in terms of legacy and what they know about you and your background and your mom and your dad? Well, that's that's a fun question, actually. Um, by, by fun, I mean, it's just so interesting. Well, for one thing, we're, we're raising them in New York City where, you know, it's it's a different it, time in a different place. Everybody. I mean, it's it's just it's just, it is a different time and place. The, the mother being a nun thing. Now that really freaks a lot of people out more so than uh, my dad being gay. I mean, now my, my children have, you know, friends who have um, two dads or two right. moms. That's, uh, but interestingly, my oldest son, he wrote a speech about the legacy and um, actually that his teacher was, is the Dean of academics. And she, actually called me and said how, how touched she was. She thought it was lovely. So mm. he had written about that legacy mm. and that was very nice. And I really appreciated the fact that he felt like that was something worth um, making a speech about. But I was, I was starting to say it was funny because one thing I was glad I clarified, he, he knew that my mother had been a nun. He also knew that we grew up with no money. I mean, we had some, but it was, I mean, my mother, by the way, she was an ace at faking it. And so for anyone who may be out there listening, who's a single mom, um, there's no one I admire more in the world than um, this amazing army of single moms who just, I mean, make magic every, every moment of every day. I mean, they literally find a way and and they just, they do. The resourcefulness. Yes. but it's beyond, I mean, it's so selfless. It's totally that, that moment. Like, I think all of us moms kind of roll our eyes. I don't think airplanes do it as much anymore, but you know, the silly announcement in the event of an emergency, if you have a child, put your safety mask on first. And then I think most of us moms are like, yeah, right. You know, I mean, I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to save my child. But single moms do that every moment of every day. But all I was going to say about my mom. So when I say that we had no money, I'm not trying to dwell on that. I look back and I, I mean, she would fake it like crazy that, you know, we had just nothing. (laughs) I mean, she was great about, you know, oh, nothing to worry about, you know, and uh, we had no idea about, you know, the government, you know, food and whatever, um, and the, why we had no heat and, you know, mm-hmm. we had some heat, but it was, it was pretty, pretty meager yep. uh, for a couple of years uh, before my mom, my mom, the backstory was when my dad left, uh, my mother, you know, hadn't, had, had not been working for years. She wasn't certified to teach in the state of Wisconsin. Um, teachers know how it works. I mean, though she had a master's, she had to go back to school. She also didn't have any money. There were just a lot of issues um, until things got worked out and she kind of got on her feet. So it was a rough couple of years. My backstory though, for my son, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when he was writing the speech about my mother's legacy, um, he, he knew that she was a nun, at one point a nun and that we, we had grown up that, about money. But he actually, at one point, thought that my mother was not getting 
had gone back to work as a nun and wasn't getting paid. Oh. And so it was like, no, 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 no. You know, it, it, like that, that somehow, you know, my single mom was a nun and I was like, well, that's fascinating, but no, <laughs> that's, not, that's not the order of things. Right. Um, yeah. A little was, clarification is yeah, here. He, that was not the final speech he gave. Fortunately, he clarified that before the speech, but it was very <laughs> sweet. And there, they were, um, they knew to, regarding my father, there was a very nice moment before my dad died. He died suddenly as well. Like we didn't see it coming. He, he'd gotten um, pneumonia Thanksgiving of 2016, thought he was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked to him in the hospital and it was uh, unfortunately a medical error. They left him unattended and um, the oxygen mask had come off. No one checked on him because of shift change. It was, it was terrible, mm-hmm. but before he died that mm. June um, of 2016, it was very nice um, moment where my children had made a lemonade stand in Central Park and they wanted to raise money for victims of the Orlando shooting and they mm. were um, killed uh, in a you know a gay nightclub. And right. my son, my oldest already knew mm-hmm. about you know my dad. And so he made um, this rainbow flag for my dad in my dad's honor. And he colored the rainbow flag. And I called my dad. They they made a lot of money off of the the, the sale, the the lemonade stand. And I called him. And when I sent him the photo, uh, I emailed him. And so he saw it in real time while he was talking to me on the phone. He cried that he he never thought he would live to see grandchildren, period because he had tried to kill himself a couple of times because he was gay. Mm-hmm. And that happened when I was growing up. So A, he didn't think he'd live to see grandchildren. And then B, he never thought he'd live to see grandchildren grow up and be proud of their grandfather and live in a world where it was okay. Oh, that's so empowering. To be making a rainbow yes. flag. So my, my children made rainbow flags with markers to put in his coffin when he died. So that, I mean, my, my, my father was you know, it was terrible that he died, but I was, it was very meaningful that he had that moment where it was really authentic. And my, my son kept saying, it was really sweet. Um, my, my son kept saying, he called him Opa. He said, Opa, it was nothing. It was nothing. Cause he was thinking to himself, I just made stripes. I just made colorful stripes. And, and every time my son said it was nothing, um, my father shook his head. And then finally he said, no Roman, it was, it was everything. It was everything. So it was really a nice moment. Oh, oh, that's just so profound. I mean, that's what it's all about. I mean, yeah. those connections and that, I mean, yeah, I can only imagine that your dad never, ever, when he was in those deepest, darkest times, ever imagined such love and connection and empathy and, and understanding and yes. acceptance. Yes. yes like exactly. it just that, 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 that was the whole mission, right. That, mm-hmm. I mean, during those whole times of, of, you know, those dark days and mm-hmm. that continued through, you know, I, you know, not just when he was growing up, but I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the homophobia continued that to think that it would just become no big deal. You know, mm-hmm. like the headline is an Opa's gay. It was just, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Who cares? You know, so that, that was, that was great for him. Yeah. It's not only just acceptance where it's, but it's normalized. That's really the goal where it's not even an issue anymore. Right. Right. Absolutely. Oh, wow. When we think about those legacies that, um, that we leave for our children and our grandchildren, you know, um, you had mentioned in, once again, in one of the interviews that you have your mother's letters that she had, um, that she had received from a priest. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, you went into it a little bit about how you hope that that the last letter wasn't really the end of their relationship. But I just thought, oh, having letters like that, I kept all the, I've, I've, every letter anybody has ever sent me all the way back to middle school, I still have. Nice. And I have my, when I went to college, my mom's, I have every letter my mom ever sent to me my first couple of years in college. And of course, you know, we had snail mail back then, no, no internet or anything. And um, they're just very special. I keep those things where people are telling me their, their thoughts. And I don't know, it just seems like such a connection still with that person. Even if I don't even remember who that person is anymore. I have some, some, some letters that weren't really love letters, but they were yeah. some, for some boys in another, in Fond du Lac that they had sent me after meeting at a church thing. <laughs> so I still have them. But right. um, I was just wondering, you know, about your mother's letters. And is that something that you you have in a special place? Is it something that um, I, I, I'm I, hoping that you really honor them? Oh, I, yes, I have them. Actually, they're 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 in um, our, you know, they're in a, a nice special place in, in our bedroom that we have mm -hmm. with a number of you know, special keepsakes. There was also a scrapbook that she'd kept, a couple of scrapbooks she kept during her time in the convent, which was just mm. so interesting that she kept this scrapbook. And what well, was a painful time that she kept that, mm -hmm. you know, some wonderful newspaper clippings and some other mementos. Um, she had a college boyfriend she was quite fond of. I kept, I'm so sorry if you're hearing any noise from my oh, daughter getting no ready for soccer practice. Um, <laughs> so this is our life, but we, we do, I, you know, it's interesting because of how I grew up. I, I don't, I don't put value on a lot of I, like material things that are, you know, a lot of, a lot of what some people, and I, and I don't judge if, if people um, love some of their, their pricier material thing, I, but because of how I grew up, I, it's always the sentimental thing. So, I mean, Dean knows like my husband in the event of a fire, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we think like that, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. I mean, you know, New York's been uh, subjected to some terrible, you know, disasters. And you think mm -hmm. in terms of like, if there's a, or, mm -hmm. and, you know, for so long, we, we thought about another 9-11 and you have to flee the city. What do you take with you? Mm -hmm. And it's always like the wedding gown, the white dresses, yep. um, mm -hmm. some of my, which I obviously I write about, yep. but I have all the white dresses that it talked about in the book that I saved from my mother's house are in one garment bag, he knows those go. <laughs> and then there's some mementos along the lines of those photos and, um, mm -hmm. you know, special things uh, of the children, but that's, that's what, that's what I take. Yeah, um, yeah. Not worried so much about anything um, material, obviously. And then mm -hmm. the children um, yeah. and the children have reminded me the cats, we have cats. They always put, make sure that we prioritize them on the list, but, okay. but no, um, those things are very, you know, special and, and they really speak to, and as you mentioned, I mean, the letters with the priest I and mean, she, that I talked about in the book, when my, my brother was the one who found them. So my brother was going through the house and, you know, as I mentioned, you know, it was a, a painful time in his life. He was, you know, dealing with a lot. And so he needed um, a place to stay. So he cleaned up my mother's house for the first year and he came across, you know, it was, it was in very, 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 very bad shape, but he came across the letters and he knew that he found something. He called me because I, I, I talked about in the book, you know, everything's in disarray. I mean, everything is a complete wreck because of the hoarding, but then he finds these letters in very organized, very pristine condition. And then the one, you know, that I, I write about in the book where it's a bit clear how deeply this priest cared about my mother was like, right, 
on at the front kind of not so much on top but right in the front you know clearly had been read and reread but that was you know obviously very telling of how much those letters meant to her yes. and so in turn of course they mean so much to me and it's just a it's just one more um way to it's so hard when anyone dies but sudden death is so hard and so we didn't get to have conversations about some of that i'm not sure if we would have yep. something as personal as that was but all the more after the sudden death, you just want anything as you know, that was that special to a loved one. You want that near. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that I've talked about on this program is that I had two grandmas that I spent so much time with. They helped raise me here in town. And and when they passed, we came to realize um, recipes were gone that nobody had. And really, even though we spent so much time together, we really never talked about, you know, the things that they had gone through in the depression and, and those deep stories that, that caused them to be the people who they were, their, their deep, dark secrets, or their, you know, dating stories or stories about how they grew up. They're gone. We just, I don't know why that is as a culture. We don't share those things on a regular basis with our kids until, you know, then, you know, somebody passes. And then we realize that, so much has gone with them. And that's, that's one of the things we're trying to do is encourage women to get those stories down, whether your children like, um, but maybe someday he'll be interested and ready for that. And so I feel like we need to get that information down so that our kids it's available, whether or not we're still available for them. Because if we don't do it, it, that's just the way it's been done for so long. You know, people haven't held in high esteem, their moms or women's thoughts and lessons. And we've got to change that. It just kills me. It kills me. I think it might, sometimes it may skip generations. I, I know I, I loved listening to my grandmother's stories. For mm. example, my, I was close. I love both of my grandmothers, but I spent more time with my father's mother. So she lived on a farm and just an amazing woman. And in fact, I have a big, you can't see it here, but I have a big picture of her in her white dress um, oh. uh, you know, on her wedding day with my grandfather that I purposely put that does look over me when I write um, a very big photo. But she, I would get shipped off to her. My mother, a couple of summers <laughs> had to be hospitalized with her mental illness. And so that grandmother, I would, I think I knew from the time I was, you know, so small that I wanted to be a writer when I look back, but I would crave more stories and her own daughters were not as interested. She always would tell me, you know, she loved her daughters dearly, but they weren't as interested, but then she had a granddaughter come along and, you know, I wanted more and more stories. And mm. she told me, you know, just amazing stories about what you're talking about, about the depression about when she was newly married, these stories that I'm so grateful she told and that I, I do need to continue to write down. I mean, I have them. Some cousins have asked me for more information and, you know, she had just, just very touching stories, an illiterate grandmother of her own that she was so close to. And that grandmother taught her to cook, but it was fascinating that she couldn't write the recipe down because she was illiterate. So <sighs> she would teach my newlywed my newly married grandmother who felt very insecure about cooking for large dinners, which often you had to, as a farmer's wife back mm -hmm, then, you didn't mm -hmm. know how many men from the field her husband was going to be bringing home. And he didn't have a cell phone to call and tell her. Mm -hmm. So she had to be ready for anything. And it was pretty overwhelming when you're a young bride who got married at 19 and suddenly there you are. And so there just these beautiful stories about mm -hmm. um, she would call her grandmother on what was then a party line and, <laughs> and the grandmother from Ireland and had the brogue 
would talk her through these recipes over the phone. And it would be things like you would knead the bread until it felt like a baby's bottom and, and then the little, these colloquialisms and it's just, yeah, lovely. But I, so my point being to you, I, I agree. Unfortunately, I think sometimes there's not always the interest that we would like or the attention span. I think that's changed, but I do think mm-hmm. that sometimes it just skips a generation. Um, mm-hmm. So that's even what I thought with white dresses. I mean, even if my own children aren't interested, you know, there might be a grandchild who is, yeah. um, if for no other reason, even if it's not in the details, I also think that there's just something so poignant about realizing that people struggled before you did. When you're in your teens Mm. and 20s, I think you think that you're so alone in your struggles of figuring out who you are. And maybe it's about, you know, um, know, things involving relationships, um, now increasingly involving jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. Certainly it's long been involving money or or, um, kind of what your place in the world is. You think it's so unique to you. And of course it's not. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think there's something so great about seeing, oh, wait, you know, Mm -hmm. my parents and grandparents didn't have all the answers either. And PS, um, they, even if they, they might've started to have all the answers, life happens and and tragedy happens and you have to figure out a way to keep going. Exactly. And I think you really shared that beautifully in the book, white dresses, you were able to, to really show your mother and her it, through the white dresses, you know, you were able to meld those stories in a continuum that that really show that even through tragedy and through difficulty and and all the things, the mental health situations, good, you know, is the ultimate, you know, result of, of those things, even though you don't see where this is going in the short run, in the long run, taking that information and, and writing it down helps you really to synthesize it and go, wow, I, I, you know, I don't know that, that I don't, would you have seen that unless you actually took that time to, to to put that down? Well, I do to a degree. I mean, I think Hmm. Yes and no. I mean, yes, it helped. I mean, look, the, the book, again, I never intended to be published. It just, yeah. the, the, the writing class just loved hearing more and more. And then my teacher, even when she thought it was definitely going to be published, I'm like, no way. You know? um, oh, I was a little bit cynical, but yes and no. I mean, it helped you, it helped me synthesize, but I knew I was I knew how special my mother was. I mean, of course, as a teenager, I went through those years that everybody goes through of you know, I wanted my mother to be like everybody else, you know, if anybody in town knew my mother, you know, I mean, everybody is unique, but my mother, you know, I mean, especially she was, she was who she was, you know, and very loving and giving. And she was a teacher who just really looked out for everybody else. She did. But I mean, for some people, I mean, I got notes from some people back in Beaverdam saying, Mm -hmm. Oh, I thought your mom was kind of eccentric. And now I know. Oh, oh, sure. Uh I mean, you know, people I know met well when they write that, you know, Um, (laughs) and, and, and it's okay. But I knew, I knew how many times we saw, you know, just really bad things happen. I mean, she shielded us from a lot, but we still knew, I mean, bad things were happening. I knew she was special in that she did not do what a lot of people might've done. Instead of going to church less, she went, you know, as much, if not more, she, she embraced her faith. She looked for the light at all times. And I knew that that was special and that growing up that, I didn't have a lot of things. I certainly knew when I went to college, I really 
came to appreciate how little that I'd had Mm -hmm. on on a material end growing up, but I definitely always knew I had that love and support and this little fairy dust that she Mm -hmm. had in terms of, she just had such a way of looking at things. I I know I sound like this, the, the, the doting daughter, but even taking a step back, I mean, I still marvel at how she just loved, uh, you know, and I, it takes, I think a very special soul that, you know, life can, could easily have turned her so hard and so bitter. Um, and she just kept loving and, and seeing what difference that makes. Certainly in when, as a journalist, when I do stories, Mm -hmm. you know, I, there's so many heartbreaking stories, but when I see the love of the mother there, you always yeah. feel better. They've got that love. Mm. It can overcome so much. Just like it, I've also done the stories where there can be a ton of wealth and a ton of opportunity and material things. But if there's not that fundamental, unconditional love in that person's life that comes from somebody, it doesn't have to be from a mother, <laughs> you know, the outcome is usually not, not so good. Yeah. I mean, it's so beautiful that you were able to, to recognize that love and preserve that in the writing that you did, because that is truly her legacy. Now you were able to preserve that for her, for your kids. And as you mentioned, maybe down the road someday, your grandkids. So they know what a special woman she is and what her values and, you know, the honoring that foundation that she gave you, because that was really her goal for you is what does a a nun who is, who's, you know, so tied to her faith want to pass on. And that's what she, what you're able to preserve that for her descendants, those people that have come after her, that she's not able to personally give that to you've done that for her. That's beautiful. I hope so. I mean, I, it, it's definitely an exercise in every day. I mean, I really mm-hmm. hope, I really hope I'm living after her. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, but it's just, she gave that much. I mean, I, I'm so blessed to have Dean. I mean, there's been a lot of loss in my life that I, you know, she did not have that partner. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. so I feel like I need to, you know, even far exceed, like if I have that additional, um, wonderful gift of a, of a loving partner, who's helping me with the kid and with other things in life. Um, you know, I, you know, it is, she gave so much love, you know, when she, you know, if I compare it to an engine, I, I just look through, I, you know, I think this of so many amazing single moms. So it's not just my wonderful single mom, but <laughs> they're like, they're running on fumes. Like that gas tank is like beyond empty and they're still going, like they're just somehow all they got. going through and still making that child feel loved and safe. Cause I have to say that's something else. Like it's one thing to make the child feel loved, but even with all the kind of yucky stuff we had going on, that she still managed to make us feel fundamentally safe. Yeah. What a gift. So I am very, very fortunate. Mm. So Mary, um, I know we got to wrap things up in a little while here. Um, a couple, just two more questions for you. First of all, you know, when you're thinking of writing and, and how you were able to squeeze, you know, your writing into little bits of time, what words of wisdom do you have for, for other women who are also lead very busy lives or complicated lives to, you know, to get their stories down in paper? What words of wisdom do you have? Going back to what I said before, just if you do not need an hour or even a half an hour, even in a few minutes, my wonderful writing instructor, Patty Dan, 
Um, she always suggested an old school egg timer of even putting on or you know, a timer on your phone. It could be any number of timers. Give yourself a few minutes and just jot down a few notes. It doesn't have to be perfect. That's a, a, something else I always tell people. So many people want it to look perfect or sound perfect or obsessed. I'm a big believer in just getting down whatever you can free flow and you can go back and clean it up later. You could totally rework it uh, in terms of saving stuff so that you don't have a crisis, which some people, you know, there's a, that sex in the city episode where she gets the bomb and loses files. And I think all of us have had silly things happen um, with mm-hmm. files. I'm a big believer in um, saving drafts and emails and um, just being gentle with yourself. It should be, some writing doesn't, everybody's different. Um, some people consider it a real chore, but it should be some element of enjoyable. Otherwise I really do think it shows in the work. And then also to free yourself. If you're looking at a bigger project, it's okay to write out of order, Write What inspired you? What were you thinking about? Start in the middle. That's okay. You don't have to be linear. And, and, and in this age, I mean, my goodness with computer files and whatnot, I mean, you could go back and change, copy, paste, rearrange. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. Also, if you do have the luxury of, I always had, before I took this writing class to change my life, I had mixed feelings about writing classes. I'd taken a couple down in Atlanta when I was with CNN in Atlanta. And I wasn't, you know, you've got to find the right fit. But if you do find any kind of, and it doesn't have to be a formal class, but if you find a writing group that's supportive. <laughs> that's where getting into my, my last question. <laughs> if you find one that's supportive, Patty, Dan ran her life stories class with, you know, she would always start with the question of what works, Mm. you know, you know, after you would read aloud and it would never be, she never set it up the stage for someone to, sometimes those writing classes get so silly. People come in with their own baggage and they want to rip each other apart or, you know, take aim at some kind of structure when it should really be about the idea or what came across. The Westside YMCA has a great writing program where I found all of the instructors kind of had a, a no jerk policy. <laughs> but if you can find a, an environment like that, yay. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say if you, if anybody is in an environment where for any reason you're not feeling good about that group, it's okay. Just politely okay. get out and don't obsess over, you know, um, the meanies. Sometimes people get mean in those environments. I don't understand I don't get that where either. it comes from, but it happens and, and it shouldn't be like that. And, and, and anybody can write to me and I will cheer you on. It should be, everybody's got something to say and something to write. And it should not ever, ever, ever be in an environment where anybody is made to feel less than mm. because of something they wrote. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was the, what I really wanted to just kind of touch base with you. This myself, I'm, I'm involved with a group of writers called the sidetrack sisters and we get together once a week and we, we write with a timer and then we share our writing and right. we're, we usually have a couple of margaritas along at the same time. Right. And, but we laugh and argue and oh, one more thing I've got, I've just remembered, I've got one more question, okay. but I wanted to ask you about how important do you think having a community or a small group, you were talking about a writing class um, of writers who support one another and bounce ideas off of each other. How important is, do you think that is for people to, to have stories and to, I think it can be really there? great. Again, I mean, it's got to be the right chemistry. I was yeah. very fortunate 
Patty's class, especially the first iteration I took was wonderful. And then she had different people pick up or drop depending. Mm-hmm. And she was pretty darn good about reining people in, but I mean, it, it can be a magical chemistry. My the mm-hmm. first group, which continued for a little bit was my favorite because of the, the it could be those classes take on a chemistry. I feel like right where certain people, and there was one woman, I'm so grateful. She was, she was a tough crowd, but she was tough, but qualified mm. in her. If she had cr- criticism for me, it was qualified. And I, and she always made it known from the very beginning. She was a, prof- a, a professor. Okay. Uh, so she, and she was taking the class. And so she was the first to tell me to, she actually called my novel after she heard my essay, the launch white dresses. She's like, Oh, stop, stop with that other crap. (laughs) But, but I knew even the way she phrased it, like this is somebody coming from a good place. This is, I mean, because she was basically saying, I really like this. And then she was the one that cornered me and said, you know, what would you call this book? You know, it's just mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, you have this ambition. And, and I was, and I said, I blurted it out. I said, I'm going to call it white dresses. And I hadn't fully formed it to myself, but I told this woman and she said, why? And I, I explained why. And she mm-hmm. said, she's like, that's a bestseller. And I was like, wow. <laughs> but I guess okay. my point being finding mm-hmm. that class where that's, that's a sweet mm-hmm. spot. If you could find someone, because it also doesn't, it could be nice for a couple of classes to have everyone going constantly. Yay. But you also do want, um, ideally, if you want, if you're serious about growing in your craft, have a group that can say, Hey, that's great. But you know what I think would be even, if not say even better, even more interesting, or have you thought about this mm-hmm. just to help, you know, there's a, there's a sweet spot there, right. We're finding yeah, that exactly. happy. You can find that. Yay. Yeah. I am so grateful to that writing class for giving me some pointers or perspective that I hadn't thought about. There was a chapter I did not think was as powerful to some people as it was, but it turned out to be my agent's favorite chapter and (laughs) uh, the class's favorite chapter. Um, I wasn't sure I was going to go into as much about forwarding as I did. And I wrote this chapter, um, you know, um, Daisy Buchanan graduates. And when I wrote about that, the class was so silent after I finished reading that chapter, the first powerful. Yeah. And you could have heard a pin drop. And there was actually, actually, as I think about, there were a couple of professors in that class. There was another professor and she said, don't change a thing. That's it. And, and that was, yeah, I I was very fortunate. So if you have a group that can be that sounding board and that support, and that you could also feel good about being honest with, because I was also fortunate. I, I didn't see these people except at class. I could, I can understand if you're in a smaller community. I mean, there may be some things that are very personal that could be tough to reveal if you're not fully certain you want the whole world to know. But if in my case, I was with a class of New Yorkers who, you know, I didn't otherwise socialize with. So I wasn't worried about them saying, Hey, did you know that Mary's mother was a hoarder if I wasn't <laughs> ready to say that to the whole world? So I guess it is a happy, happy medium. Uh, yeah. the fine. But I do encourage it because at some point somebody has to read your writing. So at some point, if you want it published, you should start sharing it. So you might as well get the feedback somewhere. And build up a little bit of a thick skin, I suppose. Thick skin and right. And exactly. But, you know, opening your ears, sometimes if you're so close to the work, you might be really attached and not be willing 
you know, which, which kind of brings me to my last question. When somebody that you share your work with maybe is somebody who's close to the work, like a sister or a brother in your case, or an aunt or an uncle, and you have two different memory, two different recollections of a particular event where I know one thing that, that happens with, with me and, and the writing people that I get together with is Sometimes we'll have a shared event where we're writing about it and it's like, whoa, that didn't happen that way. It's amazing how two people can be at the same place at the same time and see it from two totally different perspectives. But that's okay. And that could be a a beautiful and wonderful thing. I mean, I mean, it depends on the context in which you're doing it. I mean, for my memoir, though, I mean, it's clearly my my memoir and my perspective, but I did work to, I knew that what I perceived and saw as a child Mm -hmm. may not, I, I am so grateful to family members, including, I really have to give a shout out to my late father for his willingness to be as honest as he was, as I was doing Mm -hmm. that. I took it seriously as a journalist because I wanted to be as accurate as possible. Right. Um, Still have it your story, but also with the recognition of something like this, I mean, there's no way I could have fully explored my mother's life without going into her marriage. And what, who else knows what goes on in a marriage except for the other partner? For him to be as willing to be as honest as he was, given the fact that, I mean, it didn't portray him and he knew that in the best light, mm-hmm. that was pretty remarkable. That was So um, mm-hmm. I would really encourage people to be willing to have some of those mm-hmm. conversations. It also brings out some more detail. I mean, and I, I will forever be grateful, never mind for the purposes of the book, but also um, what a gift it was that he shared that he didn't know how quickly he was going to be dying. And so for me to have that knowledge, mm-hmm. it's a gift, I think, for any child to better understand kind of their legacy. And, and um, as painful as it was to hear a lot of that, it was very powerful to know more of the full story. I'll never say yeah. the full yeah. story because of course, both of my parents went yeah. to their graves with secrets. I'm sure that they did not divulge, but mm-hmm. it, it certainly made me all the more in awe of both of them. And um, the fact, you know, as painful as their marriage was that they had me and, and, and my late brother who I miss very much, but I, you know, what a legacy that I, I think it was a gift for both my brother and I, that we knew more of, of the full story of where we came from. Exactly. Oh, Mary, I just want to thank you so much. This has been just a lovely conversation. You have been so generous. I said that before, and I will say it again. I mean, the warmth and the, you know, everything that you're giving to the listeners of this podcast and just to the world in general with your, your writing and the novel that you wrote, have you got any, any current um, new works in progress? I have, I have two, two things that I hope to be able to share more information yes. about soon, but, okay. but I, I, I'm definitely, actively writing. And, and then I've also uh, written a, a couple of plays that I hope to be able to share. So book writing and playwriting, I, I, I really love to write. So I, I feel very fortunate. I'm so honored that you asked me to be with you today. So thank you so much. Great. So if people want to find out more about you and keep um, their ears and eyes open for your next offerings, where can they find you? Uh, they can. Uh, so I mean, they can certainly follow me um, the, the website, maryflumpeterson.com. There's also, as you don't know, through social media, I'm at the Mary Flum Peterson site. And I also, so I, I share links to my different works um, ranging from NBC News and then some of the previous essays um, and whatnot could be found from Washington Post and Boston Globe magazine and whatnot. Uh, on my website, maryflumpeterson.com. But I'd love, I'd love to stay in touch with people. And when people reach out, I always work to 
to get back to them. So I was so grateful to get your note and I'm happy um, to talk to any, any writers or folks from, from, uh, from the area or people interested in writing about their, their, their lives. Um, oh, I'm a big That's... fan of paying it forward. Oh, thank you so much, Mary. Um, I appreciate it so much. Thank you very much. Best of luck with all of you. I, I would love to join you for, for one of your sessions when I'm back in the area. <laughs> That'd be great. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Let us know. Okay. All right. You guys take care. And before we call it a wrap, I just want to say that I would absolutely love to hear from you. If you have any questions about what we talked about today or any other topics that you would like to see addressed on the podcast, just go to the Sidetrack Sisters page or the Sidetrack Legacies group on Facebook. We would love to engage with you and grow together on this legacy journey. Don't forget, if you like what you heard, please, please be sure to leave a review for us on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. And also, be sure to subscribe or follow us to be notified of new episodes. So, that about does it. Thank you so much for listening today. Our goal for this podcast is to inspire you to look at your own life, tap into the memories, find the wisdom, and write it down as a legacy for your loved ones. Until next time, take care. Take care.